This is the Heath in Pursuit podcast with Heath Hollinsby. Each week we'll have a conversation with various folks who are actively engaged in the pursuit of truth. This is a show where anything can be discussed and probably will. A podcast for the seekers, the dreamers, the restless, the hurt and the broken. This is a podcast for you. Welcome to Heath in Pursuit. Hello, thanks for being with me on another episode of Heath in Pursuit. I am Heath Hollinsby in the pursuit of truth, hoping that we find it on each and every episode by delving into different stories and conversations that might expand our brains to think about things that we've not considered before. Uh, today, I'm actually joined by a good friend of mine. Uh, she's a pastor. She's actually a reverend doctor from Portland, Oregon. It's uh, Pastor Amanda Zenzelo. And she has an amazing story that she was telling me a couple months ago back when we were in Michigan together for a, for a common event. And um, I said, you got to come on the show and share this because it is such a really great story. Um, she is a hardworking woman. She's got 200 podcasts on her podcast called The Church Basement. So if you want to look it up, it's called The Church Basement. Just celebrated their 200th episode, which is three years of of a weekly releases, which is a really difficult task to undertake. So view her there, or uh, she's got a really great website as well called takemywheels.org, uh, which has some really cool curriculum, like reflections on turning around and turning the world uh, in today's culture. Um, so it's really well shot by our co-buddy Jacob. And so uh, takemywheels.org is her website if you want to find out more about her. But uh, she's going to tell us a really cool story that is... Um, that is beautiful and it shows redemption and fighting for human dignity and human rights. And so uh, I'm going to have her uh, speak into that. So Amanda, I'm really, really grateful that you decided to to be on the show today. My pleasure. For those who are not aware, which is everybody who listens to the show, uh, is that I met Amanda through a mutual friend, David McDonald, who's a pastor in Jackson, Michigan. And he is a, an amazing man who has this new feat he's going after called the Chapter House. And uh, and that's where I had the privilege of meeting Amanda and finding out that we are just a couple hours away from each other. She's in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm in Tacoma. And she had this weird contraption that she was doing stuff with, like spinning yarn. And I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was, but now I'm seeing those things everywhere. Like I went to the Washington State Fair recently and there's like a bunch of like yarn people and they have those things. I was like, this is what I was talking about. It's a it's a drop spindle, a Turkish drop spindle. I love it. Because why buy why buy pre-spun yarn? You know, it's more fun. To... <laughs> but we actually got into this conversation and I think, I can't remember if it was like at the chapter house or if it was during lunch. But you had shared this story with me, and I said, we have got to do a podcast on this. And uh, and I know it took a little while for us to organize it, but um, I kind of want to jump in to this story. And I'll let you set it up, and I'll ask questions as we go. But uh, it was an amazing story of redemption and, uh, and justice and beauty and messiness colliding together. And... Uh, and so I don't want to give it all away, but I'm, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share that story with us. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast and for, for giving me a chance to tell the story to more people. It's something that I was just a, a chess piece on a complex table, hmm. but it was something I was absolutely honored to be a part of. So in 2018... In July, folks may remember that there was an increase in activity at the southern border. Yep. And 
one of the actions that the government took was that individuals were being taken from the border and being moved around the country while they waited for their hearings, particularly individuals. I'm speaking here specifically about some individuals who were seeking asylum. Hmm. So asylum seeking is a legal way to enter our country. Okay. It is a, a right that we offer to people who are in situations that are dangerous for them, hmm. in situations that they might be attacked by people or they're suffering religious persecution, for example, which many of the individuals in this situation were experiencing. Yeah. And people from all over the world can ask for asylum. So there were, at this time in particular, some gentlemen who had come to the border seeking asylum, and many of them were from India okay. and were of the Sikh faith tradition. Okay. And they had been picked up at the border, put onto a bus in shackles, and taken across the country and placed into, it was a pilot program, a test program that the government was trying, putting these gentlemen into a federal, uh, a federal prison system. And at this point, they'd done nothing wrong, right? They, I mean, Correct. they're in shackles being transported like dogs, but there's, there's no crime committed at this point. Correct. They're just coming and seeking for asylum. Jeez. But because they weren't, uh, because they were coming in as immigrants, they were in a time, they arrived at a time where our border patrols had gotten quite strong in their reaction, yeah. shall we say. Sure. And so... They had been, one of them, in, in fact, had been separated from his children. Oh, God. It was this time when uh, children were being separated from their parents, and one of these fathers was taken from his children, placed on this bus, driven across the country to this place where they didn't know where they were or what was going on, and they mm. were placed into a federal prison here in the state of Oregon. Okay. Then what happens is they get there, and the first meal that they are offered are hamburgers. And for those who have no familiarity with the Sikh faith tradition, cows are sacred animals. Yeah. And they are vegetarian. And so they're in this strange place, and the only food that they're offered is completely violating their religious wellness. Yeah, exactly. Jeez, no consideration for it at all. None, no understanding, no comprehension, no cultural understanding of what that would even mean. So yeah. they were starving, they were hungry, they could eat lettuce, but they didn't have much else that was offered to them. And the language that they spoke was very uncommon. And so they couldn't understand what their rights were, their rights for representation or their rights to receive care. They didn't know how to ask for things. Jeez. And these men were placed into this federal prison system with other, other people who had committed crimes, had been through a process and had been convicted. Hmm. And these men, this was not their experience at all. So what had, ends up happening is they don't receive legal representation for some time. And a group of attorneys find out that they are there and that they're not receiving their rights and begin to fight for them. Hmm. Some of the religious community in the area, the Sikh religious community in the area, try to get in to see them. Some of the Sikh 
uh, religious community find out that they're there. They go in to try and meet with them Mm -hmm. and to offer them presence and prayer and support in this frightening time. And they can't get through because there's, there's a different visitation process Hmm. for our federal prison system than there is for even the private uh, immigration holding prisons. It takes a lot to be vetted and have permission to visit someone within a federal prison. Wow. So all this work is happening. Yeah. And the information comes to an organization called the Interfaith Movement for Immigrant Justice here Mm. in Oregon. And Emerge is an organization that my congregation, Central Lutheran, has been a part of since uh, it started to kind of come into being. Okay. And the leaders of Emerge worked with the attorneys to try to get vetted to get some visitation to talk with these folks who were in this prison and who weren't receiving their due process or their rights. Hmm. And with those conversations and, and the requests of the attorneys and working alongside of folks, they created an August of action. Okay. And so in August of 2018, across the course of four months, 30 clergy from various faith traditions and uh, Jewish rabbis came together and we, alongside, we had lots of other lay folk kind of along with us attending, but there were 30 of us who participated specifically in civil disobedience. And what we did is we very carefully and very strategically we were contacting all of the, by this point in time, all of the men who were in the facility had had been proven to be their their asylum requests were valid. Okay. They were not a flight risk and they were not a risk of someone who was going to be violent within our culture. Sure. All that had to happen was that the director of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, right. the the local director of ICE needed to approve their release and they could immediately be released into the custody of the community. Oh wow. This is an easy thing. Essentially, right? Essentially. I mean, if it wasn't so political and it wasn't, right? If it yeah. didn't have so many more layers within especially the, the conversation of the time in 2018. Yeah. And so we started to, the community began calling the director to ask her to release these people. Okay. And to release these men into our care. And then we showed up at the Portland ICE headquarters where her office is located and requested a meeting with her in order to ask her to release these men. And the first time we did it, uh, the beginning of the month, she didn't come down. Hmm. She didn't respond to our call. We filled up her voicemail. (laughs) She was getting the messages. It it appears. probably (laughs) getting the messages, right? Yeah. But um, so three individuals went and sat in front of the gates at ICE Hmm. and refused to move. And they were arrested. They were handcuffed in front of the gate and driven away in in, uh, vehicles. And so then the next next Tuesday, we came back again. Hmm. And we had the same letter and the same request. 
And and the rabbi and the two pastors who were arrested on the first day were released later that afternoon um, with a court date to face the charges that they had received that day. So the next week we came back with the same request. Let us meet with you. Let us have a conversation. Please release these asylum-seeking men. Yeah. Again, she did not come down. She did not answer our call. She did not accept the letter. And so five more clergy sat in front of the gate and were arrested. Now on that day, they were escorted into ICE, they were processed there at ICE, and they were released about an hour later. Okay. What's a charge on that look like? Yeah, so the charges that we uh, that were received were failure to comply with the directions of a federal officer okay. and causing a disturbance on federal property. These are, I mean, these are not just little local, I mean, federal is a massive. You know, it's a federal charge. Yeah, that's a federal yeah. offense, yeah. These are federal misdemeanors. So it's not a felony, but it is a federal charge, a federal misdemeanor, which, right, so now we're talking about leveraging our privilege because those of us who had the capacity to be able to handle a federal charge on our permanent records, like that's not everybody. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, So one of the things that clergy have that we can do is because sometimes we have positions where we can still keep our position, even if we have a federal misdemeanor for civil disobedience on our record, is we can step forward in these ways. And we can serve our community in these ways because we have that privilege. Hmm. So it was another... There was an, at one point in time in the weeks in between the, the next action that I'll share, the, there was a caravan down to the prison itself okay. where maybe 12 or 15 vehicles tried to pull in, were refused, and turned over the letter to the director to hmm. please have the conversation and, and release these folks. Yeah. And we let the campaign was based around let my people go. Sure. And the promise that we will keep coming back until your heart softens. Yeah. After, I think, the second set of arrests, uh, they there was a meeting okay. that was called. And so the, the organizers from Emerge and the, the director from ICE and then the individual here in town who defends on behalf of the state. So I think it's the attorney general that, that they met and we asked again, here are our terms. We will stop misbehaving (laughs) when you release these men from the federal prison. Hmm. And and I have to say that that these experiences of these vigils, what we did is we would we would arrive and we would sing a song and then a, like a faith-based song. Yeah. And then we would read a letter from part of the public discovery of the statements of the men who were in prison. Oh, wow. And we would read their story. And so a story of a teenager who was among the group and, and one of the other prisoners who was worried about this young man because he had stopped eating hmm. and he was clearly in depression and he was worried about his safety and the story about being hungry and the story about not being able to pray because they couldn't be in the correct environment that would allow them to be appropriate 
for their own prayer. And so we would read those stories and hear their voices. And then we would go and quietly and prayerfully ask and make our requests and then hear another story and share a conversation with each other and then make our request and then hear another story and sing Uh another song. It was all worship based. Which is beautiful because this is a this is now not just like the Baptists have control of this. You're saying this is this is even outside of like a, a Christian Orthodox. You'd have you'd have everyone coming together that claim to be of faith because they see it as a as a human rights thing, right? Absolutely. And so we have folks from I would say probably ten or fifteen different religious traditions. Wow. As well as those who have no religious tradition but who believe in this. And so, you sure. know, here in Portland, religion's not a given. So yeah people were coming together, but being within this faith space, even if they weren't necessarily, they wouldn't say that they were people of faith. Hmm. And so the final action was, I was one of the individuals who participated in the civil disobedience. And I had spent the month like trying desperately to get out of this. <laughs> yeah, did you had... feel like knowing you were going to do this, was there, was there any sort of pressure of like people throwing either Romans 13 at you or people saying you're a pastor, you can't be arrested? Like, did you feel any pressure from, from those who claim to be followers of Jesus saying, don't do this? It was the opposite. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it was absolutely the opposite. I was, wow. you know, trying to, it's scary to consider getting arrested. Sure. Like, let's just be honest with that. And so I was trying everything I could possibly <laughs> do to be like, yeah, no, it's not going to be me. I should get out of it because of this, or I should yeah, get out exactly. of it because of this. And every excuse I came up with, like, one of them was like, it's going to be too sunny and I'm going to feel sick at my stomach because it's going to be too sunny that day and <laughs> and I can't do it. And so I looked at the weather report like 10 days out and it was going to be overcast and 71 degrees oh and gosh. i like looked at the sky and i'm like god seriously like yeah you're finding you everything give me- <laughs> seriously I'm, I'm grasping at every single reason i can get out of this yeah. and god is just like oh sweetheart yeah. go sit down <laughs> like this is gonna happen oh, man. so so i uh i contacted my sister in florida who's an amazing seamstress okay and has this incredible community around her of uh, very diverse folks, um, Muslim and Latinx and um, just just beautiful uh, community of color and diversity sure. who in this this creative fabric community. And I asked them to make me a stole to okay. wear that day. And so one of them designed it and my sister brought it to life hmm. and mailed it to me and it arrived that week. And it's this gorgeous and stunning beautiful stole with birds of various colors breaking out from broken bars that look like the crosses on the hill oh my goodness right just this incredible piece that i got to put on that day to wear and have strength yeah so for those who don't understand like like me um the power of a stole like what that represents what when you were asking for that what what were you what, what was going on inside of you saying, I, this is important to me to have? When In my tradition, when we were ordained uh, and set set forward as being religious leaders of, of in charge of taking care and holding sacred word and sacrament, right. we are given the stole as a part of our ordination rite 
with the words and the reminder that Jesus promises that the yoke is easy, but the burden is light. Hmm. And that's the yoke that we put on when we put on our stole. Okay. And so for me to have this um, reminding me that no matter how frightened I was, sure. that that Jesus was with me in this and that a broader community of people who may not believe as I do or may have had no faith or may, you know, some of these folks are um, not welcomed by the church in yeah. general. And so to have this beautifully sacred creation to wear on that day. And, and when I was sitting on the ground in front of the door with the car behind me running so that they would have a reason to arrest us, like could look down and see the birds flying free from the broken bars. Oh like, yeah. The visual there. This is right. Like this is what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. We are here to set the prisoner free. We are here that the blind may see and the lame may walk. Yep. This is our call. And no matter how hard it feels, this is why we do what we do. Hmm. And so on the day that it came to be my turn to be a chess piece on the, on the great board, yeah. there were 20 of us that were arrested that day. Okay. And we... We went on a different day, so they weren't anticipating us. Sure. And we gathered and we actually blocked the street in front of the building. Huh. And we created sanctuary. We created worship. We had 10 pastors on one side and ten, or 10 clergy yep. on one side because there were I was right next to a rabbi and 10 clergy on the other side. And we stood holding hands, blocking the street. And then the community gathered within the center of that. And we set an, a table in the middle and lit a candle and we held worship. Oh, man. And the the police actually blocked the road for us huh. and let us go for like an hour. Interesting. Um, and so we had to change our strategy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, this isn't working. <laughs> so, Did not see that one coming. Yeah. Oh, bummer. Okay. Let's yeah. try again. So then we like shifted over into the driveway of ice. Okay. And then, and we set the clergy, we moved the, the altar in between into the center of us and we stood in a circle around it. Hmm. Um, and then we waited for a while and then we sat down and then we waited for a while and we were honestly like thinking, okay, they're gonna, they're going to be done. Like we were getting helicopters overhead from like news cameras watching and sure. like they're, but, but we we're like, okay, they're, they're going to let us go this time. Hmm. And it had, it had been quite a while. So it's this chess game. Yeah. But one piece of the story in the midst of the street as we were holding space, a gentleman came walking up from outside, a gentleman of color came and one of the other pastors who uh, has been doing this for quite a while kind of pointed him out and, and he was given a mic by those who were leading the worship that day. And he, three or four of the men had been released by this time, not all of them, okay. but three or four of them. And he had just been one of the ones that had been released. Huh. And he came into the circle and he came to say thank you. 
Oh, wow. that the pictures of the actions we had been doing, that the attorneys had been bringing them to them and they knew they weren't alone and the hope that it had given them. And he told his story of the fear and the redemption and being out and being safe in community again. And it was just Jeez. beautiful. Yeah. It was stunning. That's amazing. Right? So, so back over to the driveway uh, over finally, we were like passing the mic around doing final prayers. And when we got all the way around the circle, we were going to like disperse. Yeah. But of course they didn't know that. Sure. So it got halfway around the circle and then there's like murmurs, but they're behind me. So I can't tell. And they had been calling in cause they had to have an officer for every one of us. Okay. And so one they had to one call in one. one for one. So they had to call a whole bunch of people into work that day. So once they finally all showed up, they were able to come out give us our warnings because they have a certain amount of warnings that they have to give us. And then we were arrested. They came out and one by one escorted us back to the back, uh, back to a garage area where we stood and they made sure we didn't have anything in our pockets or anything that we weren't supposed to have. Sure. And uh, then they zip tied us okay. with our arms behind our back. And then Half of the crew were put onto a bus and taken to the federal courthouse, and then half of us were actually taken inside ICE huh. and placed in the holding cells in ICE. And so I was one of those in the holding cell at ICE for I don't know how long. Wow. Did you feel like you were treated humanely through this, like as like a human? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, an interesting piece about it is the there are no windows and there are no clocks and the lighting doesn't change. So you're, and so there's disillusioned. To, you can't tell what time it is. You can't yeah. tell how time is passing. Oh man. It's fascinating. And as we walked in, there were two gentlemen in the holding cell, uh, two immigrants sure. in the holding cell who were locking eyes with us and that we could see. And when we walked in to like, a room that was going to be kind of the room in between things we overheard on the speaker. Um, what did he say? And then another voice said, he says he's scared. Hmm. Oh, okay. Whatever. Yeah. And then we didn't hear anymore. And then the door opened and I could see his eyes. Oh my gosh. Um, and I will not forget him. I will sure. not forget his face or his eyes. So we were in the women's cell and then the guys who were with us were placed into the juvenile cell and held Okay. until they were ready to take us over to the courthouse. Wow. And and then they brought us all in there, um, traveled zip-tied. We They took the zip-ties off while we were in the cells, mm -hmm. um, but they put new ones on us when they took us. Then uh, across, they have to, in transport, they have to have you secured. Sure. And then gave us our citations, which were the two charges that I've explained yeah, and then sent us on our way. So the whole day took about eight hours hmm. from the time we started until the time we were released. And your whole heart like behind this wasn't antagonistic, right? Like you weren't just trying to piss people off, but you were trying to no. raise some attention and raise some awareness and, and give a voice to those who didn't have it. Right. Exactly. And yeah. to put pressure, to put pressure yeah. on the judges, to put pressure on the director of ICE who had the power to free these men. Yeah, and wasn't, yeah. And and just to to amplify the voice of the voiceless, mm. right? That's 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 our call. That's yeah. the point of what we 
why we do what we do on behalf of others who have less privilege than us is to give voice to the voiceless. And so that was what we did. And, and it, it helped. I mean, the attorneys talked about how this definitely was impacting the cases that this was, Hmm. the pressure was helping and all of the men shortly thereafter were released into the community. Wow. And it it was incredibly powerful. Yeah. So the next piece of the story that you were really intrigued by when we talked over lunch at the chapter house was that a couple months later in November, we had our court date and Hmm. all 30 of us had the same court date. So we show up at the federal building, all these clergy, Christian clergy and rabbis gathered together in, in the court and they we had had the federal defenders working with us because they had been working with the folks seeking asylum. And so they knew of us because of our work. And so they were working alongside of us and they had been working with the federal prosecutors to kind of strike the deal for us and, and what was going to happen with our Hmm. charges. So they made an offer on Tuesday, and then I think it was Thursday when we came to the courthouse, the offer had changed. Okay. And there was this kind of scuttle going on hmm. by by the the attorneys, our, our defenders, who were like, this is really strange. This is really odd. Let's go ahead and go in and hear the judge yeah. and then come back to this room and we're going to meet and we're going to talk for a minute. So don't sign anything yet. Just do that thing. So Sure. We all walk into this federal courtroom and there's not enough seats because there's everybody else on the docket and then there's 30 of us yeah, and, so, sure. <laughs> and, and like all our clergy wear. You yeah. know? So we, we show up and we stand and we kind of, you know, slide ourselves in and, and the judge comes out and says, you know, here's the kind of things that are on the docket for the day. Here's what's going to be happening. Thank you. We'll hear you individually and then sends everybody out. Hmm. We were all put into a little holding room, not quite understanding what the fuss was. Sure. We were offered a piece of paper and on the paper was our information. And one of the charges had been dropped. One of the charges was still listed. A, A financial penalty was assessed okay and we could sign this and we would be done so what was not clear was that we were by signing this paper we were waiving our right to be seen before a judge we were waiving our right to counsel Hmm. and we were being charged with a federal misdemeanor that would permanently go on our record wow and it wasn't clear on the paper that that was happening hmm And so the federal defenders looked at this and they kind of got a question in their eye. And then the chief defender showed up. She had like found some childcare and like quick came down to the courthouse. Wow. And we conferred and they asked us to um, let them do some work and some looking at this. Sure. And we, we eventually signed and accepted these terms. We were aware that we were going to be charged with a federal misdemeanor at that time. Yeah. And so we signed our papers, we turned it in, we all paid our fines. Mm. That was all done. And then the defenders appealed. Okay. 
because what they had seen was that the way in which we were charged had an unconstitutional process. Wow. This is game-changing. Yeah. This is game-changing yeah. because this is not just about us now. Yeah. This is about anyone who had had a similar charge and who had unknowingly, because the paperwork was not clear, yeah. and it was offered to us in the hallway of the court, <laughs> yeah. and was a quick way to solve the problem and move on with your day, Yeah. and you didn't realize you had a federal misdemeanor. Wow. And so what they did is they used us as well as others who had been charged with similar things and hmm. they appealed on the grounds that it was unconstitutional and they won the case which Jeez. means not only were our charges completely dropped but the charges of all of those thousands of other people who had been wrongfully processed yeah and who had not received counsel and who had not seen a judge who had not been fully informed of what was happening had their misdemeanors cleared as well what an amazing ripple effect huh i mean just astonishing yeah absolutely astonishing that that to know that when we step out in faith yep and when we listen to the call of Christ in our lives to action, even when we're terrified and we don't want to do it, yeah. when we let ourselves be be used in that way, what can come is absolutely freedom and new life. Absolutely. Right? We have a whole group of people who had a federal charge. That can bar you from so much. Well, and I remember, too, when we were in Michigan, you were saying that this also, like, I mean, VA benefits get withheld if you have a federal charge. And so so this really frees things up for people that, you know, people are getting benefits reestablished, if I remember correctly, the story. Like, this has huge implications. To my understanding, yes. Yeah. Now, maybe I'm wrong on that, but sure. I, my understanding is that one of these charges is used in order, like, they can't remove you from federal property. They can't physically remove you unless they have something to charge you with, hmm. right? So the only way they can arrest someone or get them to stop, if you are at the VA and you are off your medication yeah. or you're having a PTSD episode, Right? Or if there's some reason why you are not behaving in a way that is culturally acceptable, yeah. the only way they can remove you from the VA is to charge you with either failure to comply with yep. the directions of a federal officer or causing disturbance on federal property. Yeah. So with those kinds of charges that this is the way that they would be processed. Yeah. Right. So that so that VA benefit receiver would be processed in this way and be oh, on this misdemeanor list and this holds for then any federal property so national parks uh court courthouses for sure ice for sure but there's lots of places that are federal property that we don't think about being yeah. federal property where this kind of charge could happen yeah it is a really amazing story and I mean, like you said, the, the thing that stands out is that um, often, I mean, there's two things that stand out. One is that faith is, I heard even a, a girl last night I was having an interview with talk about God not saying ever that we need to know the full plan, but we just need to know what the, that walking of faith looks like. Just take the next step. And, mm. and that's what you guys kept doing. You didn't have the full game plan. You knew that there was a injustice. You knew that you were Jesus followers. Uh, 
and you knew that people deserve a right to be treated humanely. And so you took a step and, and the steps, I mean, the story could have ended at really tragic parts throughout this whole thing or, or differently, but, but I just, I have to chalk this up to something greater saying like, no, the wrong will be right. Like everything that is broken will start to be restored. And it doesn't mean things are better, but but as followers of Jesus, these, this is a chance for us to actually like take action rather than, uh, rather than, you know, tweeting a prayer like, or I'll be praying for this situation. You guys actually, <laughs> you actually took action in a way that jeopardized your guys's, you know, criminal history and finances, obviously with these tolls and mm-hmm. stuff. And so maybe the question here would be like, what, what would be your, your words is to people that are followers of Jesus that just don't. Uh, that maybe feel called to do something, but don't know what those next steps are. Like, how would you encourage them? What what would you say to them? If it's not around civil disobedience, then keep taking one step hmm. and listen, listen, listen for the spirit. If this is around civil disobedience, find community. Hmm. This is not something that you do on your own. This is yeah. not something you do without really strong, supportive wise and carefully deliberating individuals. Like I said, I was a chess piece. I was not a chess master. Hmm. This was very well planned out and executed and carefully, carefully created. And there were safety teams and security teams and there were public covenants and, you know, it, it's not done just, you know, even Rosa Parks didn't just sit on that seat. Sure. She had an entire team behind her and it was strategic yeah. how she did that in order to make a change. Right? Civil disobedience in this kind of way doesn't happen just because one impassioned person makes a stand. This is done with careful community organizing. Hmm. And so as as one who had never experienced something like that before, but who felt called to learn more about it, find community, find those organizations that you can put your trust with and, and individuals that you know are wise and careful and, and experienced and participate within that and let yourself just find your way through carefully Hmm. with, with humility and reverence and trust that, that, Jesus is going to be with you along that walk. You know, and the thing I love about that, Amanda, is that it, it also, um, that the action side of it is, I've heard from many people like, oh, well, that's not not in this situation, but with people trying to make a stand, like, you're trying to be antagonistic, we're called to be peacemakers, don't rock the boat, pray for, like, and I, and I love that there's like a little bit of a renegade, like, no, we're going to stop at no ends, then than fighting for people that don't have a voice, people that are being properly or improperly treated. Um, and I love that you guys just didn't take the, I don't know if cop out's the right word, but the, the stance that I'm so familiar with is like, don't rock the boat, be peacemakers. Why would you go get yourself arrested for something like this? That's not a gospel thing. And I think ultimately we have to boil this down to like, what would Jesus do? And I think Jesus would fight for that injustice. And, and so I appreciate that there's this renegade spirit in a sense but it, it's a reverential renegade, like you were saying, you know, it's a respectful, um, but you didn't cower. And this, and this yeah. story could have been totally different if you guys had. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and Jesus rocked the boat. Yeah. Like, yes, Jesus stilled the boat, literally, but, but like <laughs> the cultural boat, Jesus totally rocked it. You don't get killed by a government by not rocking the boat. Yeah, exactly. Right. So 
while it's done with full integrity and peaceful ways and nonviolent ways, it doesn't mean nonviolence does not mean that it's not pushing things. Hmm. Nonviolence just means you won't fight back. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. Like you physically won't fight back. Yep. It doesn't mean that you aren't going to push every envelope, that you aren't going to raise your voice, you aren't going to argue, you aren't going to call out. Like nonviolence just means you don't fight back. Hmm. That's and so good. So that's the Jesus way, yeah. right? Jesus yeah, right. pushed the envelope. Jesus made all kinds of fuss and trouble for the government and all kinds of fuss and trouble for the culture. He just didn't fight back hmm. when it came to the time of violence. It's the entire point of our crucifixion story. Yeah. So I, I understand that it, it feels really safe to say, don't, you know, Jesus calls us to be quiet and careful, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus calls us to, to heal and bring our mm. community together and to give voice to the voiceless. And so that's what, that's what we had the chance to get to do. Oh, it was a distinct it honor. Yeah. I love the way it yeah. turned out. What a beautiful Me story. <laughs> much better than being in prison for five years, which was another alternative. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a fun, uh, what a fun thing. I mean, to say to your employer too, like, you know, I just got like, I'll be a little late today cause I'm, I'm in prison with a bunch of rabbis. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Totally. I did take that as a vacation day, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's so great. And you should. <laughs> Gosh, you were great. Thank you for this. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was an absolute delight to share the story again. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you soon, Amanda. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Heath. And I absolutely dig that lady. She's so cool. And uh, what a great story about how just a simple action, um, even one in defiance, can actually lead to the redemption of a lot of brokenness and a lot of hurt and a lot of injustice. And so if you want more information again, her website is takemywheels.org takemywheels.org and she's also got the church basement podcast you can check her out uh thanks for being with us today hope that was an encouraging story for you we'll see you next week thanks for listening to this episode of the heath in pursuit podcast we look forward to being back with you next week for more information on the various works of heath hollandsby please visit heathinpursuit.com